17th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, and um, <clears throat> I want us to uh, kind of key in on a couple of words here as we begin tonight, praise God. I've heard people say before that attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Have you ever heard that? Somebody say that? Attitude is everything. That might be a little bit of a stretch. Um, In other words, I I don't know if I'm quite ready yet to say attitude is everything because, you know, there's other things that are also important. Um, But certainly attitude in life is an extremely important thing. One of the things I believe that that emphasizes the importance of attitude is when you consider in the Garden of Eden, Father God proclaimed that seed would one day be born of a woman that would crush the head of Satan. And we waited all those generations for Jesus to come. And then when Jesus gets here, we wait another 30 years for him to begin an earthly ministry. And now we have the Word of God made flesh living among us, and he opens his mouth to preach and to speak. And the first point of his first sermon was attitude. That, to me, speaks volumes about the importance of attitude. As we have taught on this different times throughout the years, one of the things that keeps rising to the surface, and I remind us of this and remind myself of this often, is that what makes attitude so important is your attitude towards a thing determines your response, determines how you respond to that thing or to that person or to that truth or to to those instructions or to that boss or or, or your job or, or school or your dream. In other words, your attitude determines how you respond. And when we understand the way that God created us to function, we understand how important our response actually is. Um, Jesus said, it's the one who hears what he has to say and does it. He will be like a person who digs deep, builds the foundation of his life upon a rock that will stand no matter what storm may come, what wind may blow, what flood may, may rise. Comparing that to people who hear the word of God, but do not do, do not respond to it with action, Um, The Bible says that that man would be like one who built his house upon the sand. Everything looked good from the outside, but when some type of difficulty or challenge arose in life, um, his house slash life collapsed. So hearing the word of God and responding to it is one of the most important things that we could ever focus on um, in our lives. Um, there's not a whole lot Father God can do to help you move beyond where you are right now. If he doesn't have the ability to speak into your life and you hear him and respond to him. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We will mention this in greater detail later, but one of C.S. Lewis's quotes, and he has many, is that he said in the same way, an automobile, an automobile manufacturer created a car. He said petrol. We would, we would say gasoline. He said an automobile manufacturer designed an automobile to run on petrol. He said God designed you to run on himself. Um, 
we, we were created for God. And um, so when we think in terms of what the human body needs to function, obviously we need air, we need uh, you know, oxygen, we need water, and we need food. But when we talk about the real you, your spirit, it needs its creator. We were designed to run on God himself. And so the attitude that we have towards him and, and to hear him and to respond to him it is just absolutely crucial. Now, in Acts chapter 17, um, we see where Paul and Silas, let's begin at verse number 10. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, and these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Now, the comparison here is to the way the same gospel message was received by the Thessalonians. And while we see there were some who received the vast majority of the Jewish men and women in Thessalonica rebelled against and refused to hear out and refused to receive the message that was brought to them by these missionaries, by Paul and Silas. And of course, emphasizing as, as we are laying the groundwork for some things that are to come in the beginning part of this year is, you know, the difference between the, the attitudes, the, the, the difference between the way uh, people responded to the word, to the message, and to the messenger, for that matter, that was sent to them. Now, I am very interested in each one of us moving forward in 2018. Um, a lot of times in our lives, we, we get to a point and um, we kind of reach a plateau. We, we grow to a point and we kind of stall out, so to speak, um, at that point. And sometimes we think, well, you know, this is a, a comfortable place for us, and if we're not careful, we can get comfortable where we are. Um, other times, I think sometimes we, we just accept the plateau as the reality or as all there is, or, you know, and we just get satisfied at that place. And we see that. Jesus has bought and paid for so much more uh, in our lives. Uh, two categories of so much more. So much more for you to benefit and enjoy personally in your life, but also so much more for us to do to minister to other people and to make a difference in the lives of other folks. And that's the way Father always thinks. He always thinks in terms of you individually, personally, um, but also what he does in your life, he then wants to use you to produce an effect in the lives of, of other people. And so we see, and let's just use the example here of the Thessalonians and the Bereans. Clearly, God the Father was wanting to do something different and better, uh, and, and, and more, more beautiful, and, and just prosper, and, and pro provide, and all this, 
by sending the message of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to these groups. The first group heard it, and for the most part, they rejected it because it was something new, it was something different, it was something they'd never heard before, and they were so close-minded to it, um, or you know, not willing to... For that matter, I think even some were offended by it. You, you understand... In other words, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, let me tell you a better way to do this. We're not careful. We're like, man, what do you think is wrong with the way I've been doing it? In other words, we, we can get offended at the way, you know, somebody's suggesting something new and something better in the sense that, you know, we've, we've become established and, and set in the way that we've been living and the way that we've been going about these things. And so, anyway, the bottom line is their attitude and response uh, to this message um, was... Uh, let's just say, less than admirable. But then we see them go down the road a piece and preach the same message to the Bereans, and they had a completely different attitude. Now, again, they're hearing something new. They're, they're receiving a message that, that they've never heard before. But rather than reject it, dismiss it, throw rocks at the people who are bringing it, they receive the message and then searched the scriptures themselves to see if the word of God supported what was being preached to them. Now, the Bible says in the New King James Version that these were more fair-minded. Fair-minded. The King James Version says they were more noble or noble-minded. Another translation says that they were more open-minded. And, of course, it's like any word in the English language. There, there's different ways that you can define the word. And in this case, I think all three of these uh, you know, translations are, are accurate and um, usable. But the one that nails the essence of the word the best is the idea that they were noble-minded. Noble-minded, okay? Now, when you think in terms of nobility, even, even if you start, you know, like trying to research the word to see what it means, you're going to get what probably comes to mind first in the sense of someone who is of nobility. In other words, this idea that someone that is in the aristocracy, someone that is, uh, you know, from a... A, a good family, someone that was well-bred and well-raised and well-educated. And you, you almost get the idea, um, and if I'm going out on a limb here, I, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but you almost get the idea from looking at least the initial wave of definition that these uh, men showed up, you know, like in Vestavia or Mountain Brook. In other words, it almost sounds like that he's talking about people who were very refined and people who had wealth and people who, you know, could afford to send their children to the finest schools. And, and, and you almost get that initial impression. But it's talking about something more than that. And the reason I want to emphasize this tonight is because, you know, you, you were maybe not raised that way. You, you think, well, I don't have those kinds of advantages. I, I, I don't have that kind of leg up on the world like it seems like these people in Berea had. But if we look at it, I think, a little closer, we will see something entirely different here. And it has to do with the word value. Value, okay? Now, 
there are, I'm going to come in there with you for a minute, is that all right? There are three basic areas that the Word of God has much to say about. And those three areas involve the areas of, and there's different words, so just hear me out. If, if one word doesn't register in your heart, let me give you some more that perhaps will, okay? But those words have to do with a person's morals, morals, a person's values, values, and then all that the Bible has to say about relationships. When we talk about spiritual growth and development, we talk about maturity, we talk about our lives changing, these are three key areas that we need to focus on and allow Father to help us grow and change in. Now, when we talk about morals, we're talking about doing what's right. Come on now, are you with me? Doing the right thing. And of course, as born-again men and women, the Holy Spirit lives within us to help us do the right thing. But doing the right thing begins with a commitment that says, I'm going to pursue doing what's right. Amen. Now, this next word is the word values. And values has to do with focusing on, or let's say it this way, doing what's important. Doing what's important. One of the strategies that the enemy uses against us is that if we're not careful, we will focus most, if not all, of our lives on things that aren't important. Amen. Are you with me tonight? Things that, when it's all said and done, don't amount to a hill of beans. And he will continue to try to get us to focus ourselves on things that are of no value. Then, of course, growing in the area of relationships. Becoming better husbands, better wives, better fathers, better mothers, better sons, better daughters, better employees, better bosses, better brothers, better sisters, better friends, better neighbors. Again, the Bible talks about these things on and on and on and on and on and growing in community, growing in relationship, strengthening relationships, building relationships. The Bible is a book of relationships. The kingdom of God is built upon relationships and it functions through relationships. Relationships are so important that if you take everything out of the Bible that has to do with a relationship of some kind, there's not much left. Amen. Now, that middle one, values. When it says that the Bereans were noble-minded, what he's really saying here is that these were people who had high values. These were people who were able to dodge, if you will, all the different distractions of, of setting themselves in and getting caught up within things that are not that really, that they're not of great value or great importance while focusing their heart and their lives on things that are. Let me, let me offer a, a couple of other words, okay? The Bible says, and we spent a lot of time towards the end of last year, just we covered some new ground, but we also did a lot of reviewing 
of the righteousness that we've become through the new birth. Now, the same Bible that talks about the gift of righteousness that we've received also talks about two other things. Holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. So, when we talk about righteousness, holiness, and godliness, many times we use those words interchangeably, like they all mean the same thing. While they are all related, they are not all the same thing. Righteousness is a state of being. In other words, because of the new birth you have been made, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Holiness and godliness, on the other hand, those are not states of being, they are states of doing. Righteousness is something you be. Holiness and godliness, this is something you do. Amen. Now, as this connects with, and I want you to see the tie-in here between morals and values. Because when we talk about um, living a, a, a godly life or a holy life, we're talking about someone who has made a decision to do certain things and to not do other things. So in the sense of godliness, godliness is it's all the things, how do we say this? It's all the things that you do now because you've been made righteous. Holiness, on the other hand, it's all the things that you don't do anymore because you've been made righteous. Holiness, practicing holiness, exercising godliness. Again, these are the instructions. The Bible never tells you to exercise righteousness. It tells you to awake to the righteousness that you've become. But it tells you to exercise and practice and do holiness and godliness. So, for instance, when we talk about holiness, holiness and, ex and practicing holiness, it's all the places you, you don't go anymore because you've been made righteous. It's all the jokes that you don't laugh at anymore or tell anymore. It's all the things you don't drink or smoke or, or whatever anymore. And I'm not judging you, just hear me out. Holiness is, is, is the things that you stay away from, you abstain from because you have been made right. Godliness, on the other hand, these are all the new things that you do now because you've been made righteous. Getting up and reading your Bible, spending time with God, coming to church, telling others, helping others, serving others. All of these things have to do with exercising yourself towards godliness. So growing in these things, no matter how long you've been Living for the Lord, we still have room, amen or me, to grow in these areas. So it was the Bereans' attitude, the things that they had valued, the, the things that, that they put a premium on, the things that they said, you know what, this is what's important to us. This is what's important to us as, as people, this is what's important to us as families. These are the things that we, we desire to have in our lives. The, this, this is the kind of life we want to live. This is the kind of life we want to live before our children. This is the kind of life we want to train our children up to live. It wasn't about some religious game for them. It wasn't about a power play for them. It wasn't about being recognized for being more spiritual than somebody else. That was, they didn't value those things. They valued the truth, for instance. 
And because they had made the truth a priority, a value in their life, when God sent someone to them to preach truth to them, they were ready to receive it. They were in a position to take that truth, search it out through the Scriptures, and most importantly, to benefit from it. To benefit from it. Hebrews 4, we looked at it this morning, we don't have to turn there again, but Hebrews 4 and 2 talks about the same message being preached to different people at different times and how some benefited from it and others did not. Turn with me to John the 6th chapter. Your attitude towards a thing determines your response to it. Have you ever responded in a wrong way because you had a wrong attitude? I think we all have. I'm trying to think of you know, some specifics. If, if you think that you know, someone is a jerk, then you know, your attitude towards them is going to put you on the defensive and so forth and so on and ultimately affect how you respond. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, Jesus, I'm sorry, John, the sixth chapter, I'm in the wrong gospel here. Amen. You still with me? In John, the sixth chapter, Jesus feeds the multitude. He walks on the water. There's a lot that's happening in this particular chapter in the Word of God. 71 verses, if that tells you anything, of all that's happening in John chapter 6. He then preaches this message about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And there were many people who were offended at what he had to say. And because they were offended, the Bible says that they left him and they followed him no more. They were walking away saying things like, this guy's lost his mind. They were walking away saying things like, who can understand this? There were others walking away saying, this is a hard saying. To kind of break it down for you and me, the general tone of it was, Jesus is being unreasonable, he's asking too much, he's crossed a line, he's gone too far. And so because of this, the Bible says people were offended And notice their response. Their response was to turn around and walk away from Jesus and not follow Him or listen to Him or hear Him out anymore. How would you like to be in that group of folks at the end of time? Are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, Jesus right there and you think He's a fraud and you walk away from him. 
Now I'm going to go back to it. What does this have to do with us tonight? There's a path that you've never been down that Father is trying to lead you into. He is looking to upset your routine. Not because He's trying to upset you, but because He's trying to break the stalemate in your life. He's trying to drastically alter the balance of power between your inner man, your spirit, and your outer man or your flesh. He's trying to change things and, and, and get you to break out of your comfort zone, to go after Him in a way that you've never gone after Him before. And because He's taken you down a path to a place you've never been, it requires for you to trust Him. Oh, amen. The same thing is happening in John the 6th chapter. Jesus has been telling stories. He's been teaching parables. He's been telling them about a man who had two sons, a woman who lost a coin, a guy who planted some seeds. He's been telling them these stories to try to create the, the, the interest, to try to, to build some receptivity. Uh, the message translation says in Matthew 13 that he was trying to create readiness of heart in them. Trying to position them. Trying to get them in a place to where he could then teach them what was next. I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to, to read the letter that um, I write each year and put with the giving reports. You say, well, what? I wasn't here last year, Pastor Mark. I, you know what? We'll get you a copy of that letter. It's not just for folks who, who gave to Heritage last year. But it began to dawn on me that one of the major emphasis of 2017 from the Holy Spirit to the Family of Faith Heritage Christian Center was the master key of humility. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He, I mean, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, they emphasized that to us under Father's direction last year in ways that I have never heard it emphasized, things that He revealed to us about Himself. I mean, to me, one of the great revelations, not just of last year, but in recent memory for me personally, was that God is humble and that whole series of messages and what He was trying to reveal to us about His nature and about His character and, and wanting us to respond to His humbling Himself to us so that we could then humble ourselves to Him. And it's so much easier to submit yourself to someone who's already submitted themselves to you. And so Anyway, I'm not here to try to re-preach all of that. But what He reminded me, and I mentioned this in that letter, is that when we humble ourselves, we position ourselves for more grace. So if he was emphasizing humility in 2017, I believe it's because he wants to give us more grace in 2018. Let me say that another way. We look at things sometimes as an end to themselves. In other words, that God is doing this in my life for this moment. He's doing this in my life because He's trying to, to get me to a certain place. He's doing this because He's trying to get me out of a jam. He's doing this because He's trying to you know, you know, get me to a, a place where I'm, I'm more comfortable or what have you. Listen to me. Yes, yes, and yes. But please, anything that God is doing in your life right now, it is to position you for what He desires to do next in your life. And 
whatever it is He's going to do next in your life is to position you for what He already knows He wants to do in your life and through your life after that. Amen. So He comes teaching parables trying to create a hunger, trying to create a receptivity, trying to get the people ready. He had more in Him than parables. He had truth and wisdom to teach us that there's nothing in our world to compare to. Nothing in our world that He could use to illustrate it because it's something that comes straight from the heart and mind of God the Father Himself. So He's trying to prepare them, get them ready. What's next? Now, the message of eating is flesh and drinking is blood. This was covenant language. It was something that they would have understood in their culture that maybe is lost on us in ours. When people would enter into a covenant between families, they would commit themselves on levels of, of faithfulness to one another like we perhaps don't even have the capacity to comprehend. And it's kind of like um, when we were kids, we would maybe make a promise and we would say something like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Silly stuff, stupid stuff. We would say something like that just because we were trying to say to the other person, what I'm telling you I mean, the commitment I'm making I'm serious about, the promise I'm, I'm, I'm entering into with you today is, is one of such severity that if I break my word, this is what can be done to me. Well, they would do something similar except for they literally meant it. They would enter into covenant with one another and they would say literally to one another, they would exchange words something to this effect. If I have to kill my children and feed them to your children to keep your family alive, I will do it. That's how, that, and they're entering into covenant right there. They're saying, I'm committing everything that I am to you. So again, these things are lost on us, but, but now comes Jesus, and Jesus is saying, my Father in heaven is actually doing what you've said for generations. He's giving you the life of His Son. He's giving you the flesh of His Son. He's giving you the blood of His Son to save your children. This was words that they would have understood, but it was strong words, heavy words, serious words. Do you see how Jesus is trying to take them to the next level? Do you see how He's trying to bring them into a greater understanding? He's going from teaching principles about life, principles about the kingdom, now He's gotten into blood covenant. He's got into His flesh being given, His blood being spilled to save them. They said, this is too much. He's trying to take us somewhere we don't want to go. He, he, he's, he's bringing us down a strange path we've never seen. And He's perhaps taking us to the brink of ruin. And so they went back to their old dead religion. They went back to their old dead religion. Do you know how many times over the years here at Heritage, and I, maybe I just, it's Sunday night, and it's, it's just, amen. <sighs> Do you know how many times over the years folks have come here, experienced the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, experienced the things of God, 
but just looked around one day and said, what in the world are we doing in a place like this? Only to go back to their old dead religion. Amen or oh me? Happened more than once. You're right, Brother Terry. I'm not judging those people. I'm just trying to tell you. If you think this is just something that happened in John chapter 6, you're wrong. Father God was trying to take them to a higher place by revealing something to them that they had never heard before. Now, let me finish right here. After people walked away from Jesus that day by the thousands, he was sitting around with his disciples later in that evening. And he looked at them and he said, Are you going to leave me also? This is in John, the sixth chapter. And um, verse 67, John 6. And verse 66, it's when it says, And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. In verse 67, then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. One translation says, it's one of the more modern translations, but it, I love it. It says, Jesus, when you speak, something comes alive inside me. When you speak, something comes alive inside me. Now, what you have to understand is that disciples do not understand the sermon any more than the folks who heard it and walked away. They didn't know what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand the full meaning of this. They had just as much of an opportunity as anybody else to be offended by what he said. Notice their attitude. Notice their response. Notice their attitude. Notice their response. We have no idea what you're talking about, but we know that you have the words of life. We have no idea what you were saying today, but what we do have an idea of is that you know things nobody else knows, and you're going somewhere else nobody else has ever been, and you've invited us to go with you, and so we're, we're along for the ride, Jesus, because when you speak, something comes alive inside of me, and even though I don't understand what you're talking about, and not sure that I ever will, I don't have to understand it to know that what you're doing, and how you're living, and what you're saying is something that I want to be a part of my life, and my family, and as many other people as I can get this message to. Do you see the attitude there? The attitude was, I can't find anybody else to tell me what you're telling me, and so I'm staying with you because I want to know, I want to understand. Kind of reminds me of an attitude that we saw in a little teenage virgin girl named Mary, right? Be it unto me according to your word. How? He said, she said, how can this be? I've never had relations with a man. The angel said, 
it'll be by the Holy Spirit. And she said, well, be it unto me according to your word. Do you, do you think that all that made any more sense to her then than it makes to us now? It's not like she said, oh, well, why didn't you say so to begin with? Okay. No, it's not like, well, all right, be it unto me then. Taking me somewhere I've never been, but I trust you. Let's go. Let's go. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Father, I thank you tonight that we are of noble birth because we have been born from the seed of God himself. And Father, we are a noble-minded people. Fair-minded, yes. Open-minded, yes. Father, our hearts, our minds are ones that are saying to you tonight, teach us what we do not know so that you can take us where we have yet been able to go. Reveal to us your truth. Show us the things that we are missing. Reveal to us, Father, this path that we have never traveled before. Lord, I thank you tonight that as a family of faith, we're celebrating 20 years together. Lord, some may say, I, my first time ever to be here tonight, Pastor Mark, what's this 20 years? Father, your word makes it very clear whether we were here from the beginning or here somewhere along the way or the first time tonight. We're all in this together as one. And Father, I thank you for the things that you've revealed to us, the things that, that you have taught us over these many years. And yet, you continue to confirm that the best is still to come. Father, I thank you for new life resolutions. I thank you, Father, for a response, an attitude, a resolve to the new life that we have in you. And Lord, not a sense of foreboding or dread, but a sense of joy and excitement. Not something we have to do, it's something we get to do. Thank you, Father, that this year is going to be a year of breakthrough like never before. We prophesy it, we declare it, Father. We speak it into the heavenlies. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.